All right, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. How's everybody doing? What a beautiful day. A little windy out there, but uh, man, what a beautiful day. What a beautiful day. Thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you've joined us tonight. Let's go ahead and stand as we open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Um, we, again, we continue to have a lot of folks that need a touch from the Lord. If any of you ask on my back, I did go to the doctor on uh, Monday, and I have a degenerative disc disease, uh, so it may not get much better, at least from their standpoint. But uh, you know, I do know uh, I do know a man <laughs> who can, and so uh, thank you for your concern and. Uh, anyway, uh, let's pray for, again, all this. There's too much to talk about, right? I mean, you, you turn on the news and you see that, I mean, there's just so much going on. And, and, and you know, we, we could talk about what's going on over there, but there's so much going on here. You know, we just, uh, with the inflation, the economy, uh, the, just the civil unrest that we see, it's just kind of a crazy time. I'm just glad that we serve a risen Savior who, uh, who's promised to make all things new, and that's our hope. Uh, we do have a couple uh, sp- just special needs that we just really need to, uh, God knows the whole situation there, and I'm just thankful that we have a place we can run to. We have an advocate. He's our advocate, and he's our intercessor, and uh, so he's praying for us, and he's advocating on our behalf. So let's just pray. Father, tonight, we love you so much, and Lord, we're thankful for the privilege to be able to come together and study your word. Lord, I thank you that you are, are, you are our ever-present help in our time of trouble. Lord, I know that no matter where we are on this Wednesday evening, uh, Lord, with situations and circumstances, Lord, I thank you that you are that strong tower that we can run to and are safe. I pray, Father, for those that have tuned in online tonight, and maybe they need a touch from you, God. I pray you extend your hand and that you would touch. I pray for those that need healing. Lord, we still believe. Uh, Lord, that you're the God that heals us. Lord, that's what your word says. You are Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. Father, I thank you that you're, <coughs> you're a God who provides, a God who comforts and who strengthens and who guides. Father, I pray that no matter what our need is tonight, that we would uh, just yield that to you and allow you to do what only you can. Father, I pray you'll be with all the ministries tonight across the campus. Uh, Lord, we continue to pray for revival in our land. Let it begin right here with us. And, Father, we pray for those that are in harm's way around the world, those skirmishes and the wars and the conflicts, Lord. We just pray that through all of that, Lord, we see your hand working uh, in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. Be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it now to you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Uh, Go ahead and turn with me to Exodus 20. This is our, um, this will be the last of our series. Uh, we actually finished it up tonight, and I appreciate Brother Tom t- uh, teaching last Wednesday night very much. A uh, couple of announcements. I do want to, we have several things that just kind of popped up um, that I want to toss out to you. Number one uh, is, I'm sure you saw the, the storms that came through the other night. Uh, Jacksboro was hit pretty hard with an EF3, uh, which was the most significant storm of the evening. Uh, about a hundred structures were were demolished or damaged pretty pretty uh, seriously, and so we're going to be deploying tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be taking a team up to Jacksboro. Our tra- the trailer's ready to go, uh, so we're going to be leaving here at seven o'clock in the morning, and we'll drive up to Jacksboro. We're going to be staging 
at um, Bethel Assembly of God Church there in Jacksboro, uh, and from there we'll run uh, operations. I've got Convoy of Hope. Uh, they are scheduled to be in, uh, probably in now, but they were coming in tonight. They're going to bring some supplies and things that we can use and distribute there. Uh, and then we'll be back tomorrow evening, I'm thinking maybe around 6 o'clock. So it'll be a long day, but we're going to drive up there. We're going to, uh, part of the reason is with my back injury, I'm not going to be able to to really do what I have typically done. So I'm going to be training um, teams that are there to carry that on. I'm going to drop the trailer, leave it there uh, during the next week, and then I'll go back and get it. But anyway, we are going to take a team. So if you're interested, um, be here at 7 o'clock ready to go, and we're going to drive up there and serve. I do, And it's not just us. I mean, I have people from all over that will be meeting us in Jacksboro. Um, but uh, please don't push yourself. If you're not physically able, please don't come. It's, you know, if you've ever done any type of storm work, it's, it's very tedious and labor- it's a laborious work. It's just pretty intense and, uh, uh, and, and it's emotionally draining as well. So we have that going on. Also, uh, next Thursday, uh, we just got notice of this. We have an extra food distribution day. So I know we just did one, I think, last week, um, but we were able to secure another shipment of food next week. So next Thursday, same time, same channel, same bat station, same all that, uh, we're going to be doing another food distribution on that Thursday. So I know our normal volunteers are geared for the second Thursday. I'm going to toss it out. We'll be tossing it out for help. We're going to need help to be able to do that, but it's uh, Thursday. Also, don't forget, Friend Day coming up on April the 10th. Very, very important that we do our work so that we can see God do his work. Uh, and then the last thing is, and, and I haven't, we haven't sat down long enough to kind of figure out how we're going to do this, but I'd mentioned this in the business meeting on, on Sunday that I was able to secure a load of about $20,000 worth of baby products. This would be um, for expectant moms and recent moms. So that would be like nursing supplies, bottles, things like that, about $20,000 worth of material. That stuff has come in, and so we're just looking for an opportunity to distribute. One of the things that we're thinking about is maybe Sunday week or maybe a Sunday after Easter. We really just need to look at the schedule, but we're going to set up tables in the Family Life Center and then and just kind of do a community uh, broadcasting of letting these moms that have recently had children or that are expecting to be able to come in, and we just want to bless them. Um, so... Anyway, those are just things that have just popped up this week since Sunday. Busy week, but uh, ministry, I'll tell everybody, ministry is work, and if you're not working, you're not ministering. And so, uh, anyway, thank you for all that you do and, and helping us to be Jesus with skin on. Uh, I, I do believe that song that talks about thank you, um, I think one day we'll stand in heaven and we'll meet a lot of people that we never got the chance to shake their hand. We wouldn't know who they were. But they say, you know what, because you served, because you gave groceries, because you cut a tree out of my house, because you did this, you, uh, I'm here because of that. And don't ever sell uh, this type of benevolent activity short for what God can use it for. So it's very powerful. Uh, anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. Um, tonight's, as we, again, we wrap up our God's top ten, and uh, we're going to be looking at contentment. 
contentment. So we're, <laughs> when I started typing this morning, I'm just tired with the pain in my back. You know, I can, so I can only sit about 20 minutes and I have to get up and move. And, uh, and then I sit down again. So I started typing this thing. And some of you, I know, I know you're over there. <laughs> if you've walked this pathway, and I know Tommy's had it several times, you, you, you know, you can't help but laugh because you know what you're going through. Uh, I sit there, I type, and, and I, uh, I wrote the 11th commandment. So I thought, here I am inventing another commandment. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, so let's read verse 17. It says, you shall not, notice this here, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Again, very, just, just very matter of fact. Remember, the Ten Commandments and the reason they're so important to us today is because they build a foundation upon which you and I can build uh, our, a, a successful Christian life. They're, they're, they're very important. Uh, they were repeated in the New Testament with the exception of one, and, and so it's important that we study that and know, uh, again, the foundation principles. And so the Tenth Commandment, again, very matter-of-factly says you shall not covet, and then it lists things that we're not to covet. Um, and, and again, so when you look at that, notice that the word covet is repeated, which is a literary device that simply means an emphasis, okay? I, I had a professor years ago that when he would be doing his, his teaching or his lecturing, he had this habit of if something was going to be on a test, he would stomp his foot. And that was a signal that, hey, you better write this down because you're going to see it again. And that's kind of what's happening here. The word, the covet, the word covet is, is a literary device just emphasizing that I really mean <laughs> don't covet. And, and so the Hebrew word uh, for covet is, is an interesting word because it conveys both a positive and a negative connotation to it. So, so in a positive sense, the word simply means a strong desire. You know, have, how many's ever heard somebody say, "I covet your prayers"? Anybody ever heard that that statement? Well, that that's the positive side of it. It means I I strongly desire for you to pray for me. I covet your prayers. Um, used in a negative sense, it takes that meaning and takes it a little bit a little bit further. It's a strong desire for something that I have no right to. That's the negative side of it. So if I say I covet your prayers, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. But if I take it further and say, I desire something that I'm not entitled to, then that's a sin. That's wrong. And that violates the Tenth Commandment. So, so the Tenth Commandment is not, it's not about tackling strong desire in general because, again, it can be a very positive thing. Um, it is a strong desire. The Tenth Commandment really hones in on the object of that desire. That's where the problem comes in. How many of you ever heard somebody say, that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money, money in and of itself is, a, is amoral. It's, it's, it's neutral. I mean, what, what I do with it determines the morality, I guess, of, of finance. Uh, and, and so, again, this commandment really is about the object of that desire. I have no right. This is what the commandment says. I have no right to possess or to covet my neighbor's house, his wife, his servants, or his animals. In other words, I don't have any right to want his stuff, whatever 
whatever it might be. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 9, we're, we're, we find ourselves in the Garden of Eden. And, uh, it, you know, in the Garden of Eden is described as what? It's a delightful place. It's a place of beauty. It's a place of, uh, you know, it's the utopia that we uh, modern man dream about. But in chapter 3, verse 6, it talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it makes a statement about that tree. It says that it was desirable, desirable to the woman, even though God had forbidden them, um, uh, uh, had really put it off limits. So the Bible says when she looked at it, she coveted. She had a strong desire. She saw it was pleasant uh, to her. She coveted what God had put off limits to her. So that's where that, that's where that sin came from because she saw it, it looked pleasant to her, and she desired what God said she couldn't have. That's what coveting is in a nutshell. The sin in the Garden of Eden was covetousness, and that's what brought all of this, all of this stuff on. That covetousness led to disobedience, and then here we are. How many of you want to have a conversation with them when we get to heaven? <laughs> you know, so, so the, bottom, the bottom line is the Tenth Commandment simply says, I must not set my sights on that which I have no right to possess. You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm claiming that house. Well, you know, I mean, I get really kind of, I get, it, it amuses me to hear people. I've heard people in the name it, claim it side of the aisle talk about, well, I'm just going to claim that for me. And, and I'm thinking, well, that, doesn't that violate the Scriptures? You know, if I don't have the right to it, then why am I claiming it? I, don't, I can't claim your house. I can't claim your car. I can't claim your checkbook or your portfolio. I can't do that. And if I do, then I'm sinning. I'm breaking the law. Uh, the, I'm, I'm transgressing the law of God. You know, again, the basis of this commandment, again, the word covet is that strong desire, and it's desiring that which I cannot have or I'm not entitled to. But, but here's the thing. The basis of this commandment goes to contentment. Contentment. How many know what contentment is all about? <laughs> when we are content or satisfied with where we are in life, here's the thing. We're not going to be prone to coveting. If I'm content where I am, then I'm not going to be prone to always longing. See, that's part of the, uh, among the many things, you know, you look around at these get-rich-quick get schemes. You know, the, the, the impetus behind it is always uh, satisfying a missing part of us. You know, I'm not content, so I'm hoping. I'm going to play the publisher's clearinghouse. They keep telling me I'm in the final drawing, and they keep sending me that thing, telling me I'm, I'm close, I'm close, and if I'll... Am I telling the truth? That's exactly what they do. How many's ever bought books that you've never read because you thought, well, maybe if I buy a book or a magazine from them, then I can, you know, and we do that. Well, the, the, the antidote to that coveting is be content. Listen, there are always going to be people that have more, and there will always be people that have less. And so wherever we are, we find ourselves to be content. We have to be content. Now, there's some times that I really have to pray through on that. You know, if I see a nice 63 vet, I have to pray hard because I want that. <laughs> I want it bad. I saw an old 52 Chevrolet pickup truck today, and I'm not a big Chevy guy, but I thought, man, I'd take that. I like that. But, I mean, you see, you see those desires. So my question is, are you satisfied with your life? 
Are you satisfied with your life? It, it, and here's the thing. If things could make us happy, how many, how many believe this? We'd be in paradise every day. Because we, we were joking in the office earlier. We were talking about the story. So I had to, when we were loading the trailer today, I had, I had to go to May Pearl to, I have a warehouse in May Pearl with, all of, with a lot of stuff. And then I had a couple things I'd put in the shed out here. So we were opening the shed up to get some of my stuff out of there. And I thought, man, we got a lot of stuff. And my comment was, even our stuff has stuff. Anybody have, have a place like that? Our stuff has stuff. You know, we have an attic that's full. We have an outbuilding that's full. And one of the fastest growing things around that I see is storage buildings. And if you call to get a storage building, I t- I, I'm telling you, they're full. They're full. Our stuff has stuff. If things could make us happy, we should be the most happy people on the planet. I mean, the, you know, the world says that more is better. But, but I say, is it? Is it at what point? You know, I, I've always quoted this. Uh, Rockefeller was once asked how much money is enough, and his response was a little more. A little more. See, that's lack of contentment. You know, it seems like the more we have, the less we like it. So you think about that car. You know, I want to buy a new car. So I go buy a new car. I get what I want. I get in that car, and within two weeks, I'm already looking at another vehicle because the news wore off, the smell's gone, and I'm looking for something totally different. If things could satisfy, we'd be very satisfied. You know, if, if having more would make us happy, we really wouldn't need the Ten Commandments. We wouldn't need the Tenth Commandment. It's written... <laughs> For unhappy people, or maybe unhappy, maybe is not the right word. Discontented people. That's what. It, that's who it's written for. Maybe, maybe you heard the story about the king who fell into a serious depression, and no matter what they did, they couldn't bring him out of his depression. Nothing lifted his spirits. See, they tried everything. They 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 brought in musicians, dancers, court gestures, uh, jesters. They had banquets, brought in flowers. I mean, nothing seemed to pull this man out of the doldrums. Finally, an old wise man came to him, uh, and he had this unusual piece of advice. Here's what he said. He said, O king, if you can obtain the shirt off the back of a truly happy man, you yourself will be happy. Well, hearing these words, I mean, here's a guy that's desperate to find happiness. So he gets his guys together, his men, and he orders that they search the four corners of the kingdom to find this happy man and take the shirt off his back. So they searched. Weeks passed. Months passed. Finally, the soldiers returned, and they said, O king, after many days and much searching, we have found a truly happy man. But your majesty, the man was not wearing a shirt. (laughs) Isn't Isn't that the way it goes? You know, we, we, we have to be careful with that if only mindset. Have you ever done that, if only? If only I had a raise. If only I won the lottery. If only I had the publisher's clearinghouse people show up at my house. If only this. We've got to be careful with that. If only I had a new house. If only I had a new wife or a new husband or a new set of children <laughs> or a new job, a new school, a new career. I mean, again, on and on. If only I could start a new life. Again, we, we have to be careful with that kind of thinking. I think we've all played that game before. We've all had that mindset of if only, uh, and, and maybe we still do it. You know, again, when I see an old muscle car, I think, man, if only I had one of those, I'd be happy. So when we were visiting with my 
family last week. I have an uncle that I, when I left home, when I ran away from home, um, he, uh, he insisted that I move in with him. His son was my cousin. We were about three months apart in age, and so he was more like a brother. And so I moved in with him, and he insisted I finish school. And, and I've told him, I said, you're the reason that I am where I am, to, one of the reasons I am where I am today, because you insisted that I finish school. You instilled in me that, that don't quit, regardless of the circumstances. And, and so I visit him. Every time I go to Mobile, uh, he's one of, uh, there's only, there were nine of them, there's only two living. And so I was visiting with him the other day, and he has two. He has a 1965 Mustang, Tom, and a 69 Fastback Mustang. Oh, they sound so good. He said, come out here and let me crank that. And I'm like, please don't, please don't. I'm gonna, I'll be praying for the rest of the night. It, you know, when I see an old muscle car, I just, man, I'd like, man, if I had one of those, I'd be happy. Or if you run across a house for sale with a swimming pool in the backyard, and I think, man, if I could have one of those, I'd be really happy. You ever do that? Maybe it's a new suit. Maybe it's a vacation home on the lake. If only. But here's the thing. If only is continue to keep going. If only this, and if only that, and if only that. You know, and, and, but that raises a question. At what point, okay, does legitimate desire become coveting? At what point does legitimate desire become coveting? Coveting occurs either when I desire something that I have no right to, my neighbor's wife, right? Or when I desire something that becomes a controlling passion of my life. In other words, that controlling passion tucks me in at night and wakes me up in the morning, then that's coveting. I've crossed the line, and, and it's that desire now that occupies my waking moment. I'm always thinking about getting that thing, plotting and scheming. Uh, you know, a, a new house might be nice, but see, our happiness should not depend on a new house because if it does, that's coveting. If my happiness is predicated upon what I have, what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 6? Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of what? All kinds of greed. Why? Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. I think that's Luke 15. <laughs> a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. So what if you have more toys than anybody else? When you take your last breath, you're going in the same ground that they're going to go in. Well, how's that going to help you out? Again, that's, that's the coveting there. So the moment I trick myself into thinking that this item or this goal is necessary for my happiness in life, then I've crossed the line into coveting, and that violates the 10th commandment. So, so let's talk about coveting for the last few minutes. Uh, let me give you five facts about coveting. First of all, this is an invisible. This is an invisible sin. Invisible. Uh, here's the thing: most of the other commandments are pretty easy to spot. I mean, they're they're pretty easy to discern when 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 people are violating. I mean, you know, think about it: you either murder someone or you don't, right? You either steal something or you don't. You lie or you don't. You commit adultery or you don't. Uh, at least on the outward level, most other sins have some kind of visible manifestation. Coveting doesn't. Coveting is invisible. The person may be extremely wealthy and, and, and not covet at all, but they may be extremely wealthy and yet eaten up with coveting. Because you know what? For every wealthy person, there's somebody wealthier. Right? 
For everyone who has this type of car, there's someone who has a different type of car, better car. So, so for a wealthy person, they might, they, again, they might drive a BMW, wear a Rolex watch on their wrist, and have coveting all over them, eaten up with it. The Bible doesn't, and again, here's the thing, the Bible doesn't teach that wealth is evil, okay? Never does. And, and, and not every wealthy person is, co- is, is coveting all the time. That, that's not it at all. That's not the point. The point is coveting happens inside the heart when our desires begin to get out of control. Coveting is a covert sin because it's, and because it's easy to dismiss, we write it off as no big, no big deal. You know, we don't think it's a big deal. But if that becomes the occupying thoughts of our minds, then it is a big deal because now it distracts us from the purpose for which you and I were created. Because I'm always worried about, well, they got a beggar. They got a new, did you see the Joneses? They got a new car. What are we going to do about it? We got to go get a new car too. You know, it never stops. It never stops. The second thing about coveting, it is the root of all other sins. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is talking about the, where the law came from, okay? And he, he's basically kind of reminiscing. He, go, he starts recounting in his own life when he realized just how sinful he was. Remember, Paul, Paul was, or Saul, was the cream of the crop. You know, he had the right heritage. He had the right education. He had all of those things going for him and, 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 and probably thought, you know, because, again, when he was there with uh, nodding at Stephen's uh, stoning, his, his murder, you know, he probably thought he was doing what was right and righteous. He had this holier-than-thou mindset, but when he realized his own sinfulness, he, he says it came as he, began to, as he began to consider his life in light of the Ten Commandments. Now, now as he's going through and reminiscing about his life's journey, everything's going okay until he gets to the Tenth Commandment. Here's what he says in verse 7 through 9. He said, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, had not said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. One, uh, once I was alive, apart from, once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. In other words, he said it was coveting. That was what awakened him to just how sinful he really was in his heart. Coveting deals only with the heart. When Paul started dealing with his heart, suddenly he discovered that he was a lot more, he was in fact a covetous man. He was a lot more sinful than what he even realized. He said, "Once once I read, do not covet, coveting became a huge problem in his life. And you know what? We know that to be true. We know that to be true, right? Uh, the Confessions of Augustine uh, kind of gives a, uh, an example there. Augustine's writing, he's talking about this very principle. He said, there was a pear tree near our vineyard laden with fruit. One stormy night, we ra- this is him writing. He said, one stormy night, we rascally youths set out to rob it and carry the spoils away. We took off a huge load of pears, not to feast upon ourselves, but to throw them to the pigs though we ate just enough to have pleasure of the forbidden fruit. They were nice pears, but it was not the pears my wretched soul coveted, for I had plenty better at home. I picked them simply to become a thief. 
The only feast I got was a feast of iniquity and that I enjoyed to the full. What was it that I loved in that theft? Was it the pleasure of acting against the law in order that I, a prisoner under rules, might have maintained counterfeit of freedom by doing that which was forbidden? The desire to steal was awakened simply by the prohibition of stealing. The pairs were desirable simply because they were forbidden. Now, that's a mouthful, and what that simply says is, Whenever you, whenever you forbid something, that awakens a desire to do what. How many know that's true? I, I've used this illustration before, but when you walk downtown, have, have, have any of you seen a sign on those plate glass windows or those bay windows there that says, do not throw rocks at the windows? Anybody, I've never seen a sign. On those, on those windows. When I go to the a department store, I don't see a sign on the windows. When I go to the mall, I don't see a sign on the windows. You know why? Because if they put a sign up there, somebody's going to throw a rock at that window. Because it will awaken. <laughs> it will awaken. I know that sounds kind of ludicrous, but that's a principle. We tell our children, you know, and it's kind of funny, because we tell our children when they're young, we, we try to use reverse psychology, but we don't realize we're going to pay for it later on. We say, no, don't you do that. Don't you do that. You know, we're trying to, we want them to do it. So we're telling them, don't you do that, don't you do that, and they're going to do it. Why? Because we awaken something inside of them to do it. Now when they get older, (laughs) we say, now don't you do that. Well, they've already been conditioned that we really want them to do it anyway. That's parenting. I'm not going there. But again, the principle is this. Whenever a thing is forbidden, it becomes desirable. Don't touch that. Don't, you can't have cookies before supper. Don't do this. The more we say that, what does Paul say? Paul said that awakens a desire inside of us to do what we've been forbidden to do. So when God says, look, here's the, you got all these trees, but there's one to stay away from. Now, you would think all these trees out here that provided whatever they needed would be enough. But no. Because he said, not that tree, they went after it anyway. The thing that is forbidden is the thing that we desire. I mean, which is why censorship doesn't work very well, right? I mean, we tell teenagers, don't listen to this record or this song or whatever. Guess what they do? (laughs) They listen to it. I mean, in fact, not only do they listen to it, they'll line up around the block. Well, I don't know they have to do that anymore. <laughs> I date myself. Now they just download it on Spotify or something. They don't have to worry about, you know, used to they'd line up around the block at the record store to buy, to buy the, the vinyls. They don't do that anymore. But you say, don't do that. Don't watch that show. Well, they do. They watch that show. You know, we talk about, well, this movie ought to be banned. You know what? You almost guarantee commercial success when you say something like that because you automatically awaken a desire to do what has been forbidden. Coveting is the root of all other sins because it causes us to want what is forbidden. The third thing is coveting begins close to home. Did you notice that in the 10th commandment, it mentions the word neighbor (laughs) three times, neighbors. Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. See, coveting begins at home. And and the reason I say that, you know, there there was a movie that came out years ago in in the, I guess in the 90s probably, Hannibal Lecter, The Silence of the Lambs. 
And, and in that movie, there was a scene where he had this exchange with Clarice, who was the agent. And here's what he said. He said, what was the original sin, Clarice? Excuse me? What was the original sin in Eden? Well, I don't know, and I don't have time to play your games. Think. What was the sin that Adam and Eve committed? She said, I don't know. His response was, it was coveting. They wanted something they couldn't have. She goes, so what? That's the answer, Clarice. Well, what do you mean? The man you're looking for is a covetous man. He wants something he can't have. And then he goes on and says, we covet what we see every day. We covet what we see every day. And he goes on and says, go back. Go back and find his hometown. Go back and see what he sees every day, and there you will find the answer that you're looking for because we covet what we see every day. Again, so we rarely covet things far away from us. It's the things that we see every day. It's the neighbor's house, the neighbor's car, the neighbor's this, the neighbor's that. That's what we covet every day. We, we want what our neighbor has, not, not what some stranger has. Isn't that funny? We don't give a rip about a stranger. They could drive through on, in, with a Bentley. We don't think much about it, but if our neighbor came home with a Bentley, we'd be eat up. There's just something about my neighbor getting a Bentley or a 65 Mustang or something of that nature, and there's just something about it that just rubs you raw. You don't care if a stranger has one, but don't let your neighbor get one. Coveting begins close to home. You know, we, uh, I mean, and here's the point. Have you ever envied or, or, or not envied, have you ever coveted something that famous people have on TV? I haven't. I mean, we might wonder what it would be like to have their fortunes. I don't think that's coveting. We might wonder what it would be like to, to live in, that, in the palatial homes that they have with the pools and things like that, but that, that's not really coveting. Um, and they're far, but here's the thing, they're far removed from us. So we don't really covet that. We may look at that and wonder what it would be like, and, oh, that must be nice, but that really, really doesn't bother us. But if our neighbor got something like that, then it would eat us up with, with that desire inside to have what they have. You know, what about the Joneses next door? They got a promotion. Their daughter just got accepted to Harvard or to Yale, or she's driving a new car. <laughs> That's what gets us because it happens close to home. If we want to spot the covetous parts of our lives, start close to home. Start with the things that we see every day. Start with the people that we see every day. What is it about them that causes that monster to rise up? Uh, Andy Stanley years ago wrote a book, uh, not having anything to do with that, but the book title has always been a fascinating. It came from within. <laughs> and, 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 the, and I have it. Uh, and, he, and the artwork on the cover was like Godzilla, and it showed this Godzilla creature on the book cover, and then it came from within. And, and I thought, you know, that's it. We all have that monster inside of us, and I don't know what it is about our neighbor, but when we see them prospering, when we see them getting things that we don't have, that monster is awakened, and we start coveting. The fourth thing about it is coveting springs from an ungrateful heart. It springs from an ungrateful heart. Coveting really is nothing more than an attempt to improve upon God. It's like I, one of the issues I have, well, among many, with, with, with a lot of the what they call gender uh, confusion in our world today is that it blames God for making a mistake. 
that, that's the root of it there, is that I was, I was born uh, biologically this, but that's not what I was supposed to be born, so I'm going to claim this. And it basically is, is trying to improve upon what God has already done. That's the same thing with coveting. The covetous man moans and groans because he believes that he has been treated unfairly. It's kind of like Charlie Brown. Remember Charlie Brown when he would go trick-or-treating with the gang? And they'd all go knock on the, on the house and trick-or-treat, and they would put the candy and stuff in there, and they'd get outside to the street and look in the bag, and they would say, I got this, and I got this. Remember what Charlie Brown would always say? I got a rock. <laughs> I got a rock. You know, that, <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's all he got was rocks. See, when I covet my neighbor's house, I'm, I'm not... I, I'm not really saying that God has not provided. I, I mean, am I not saying, that's the, what I was trying to say, am I not saying, if I covet my neighbor's house, am I not saying, God, you have not provided for me? You've not provided adequate shelter for me. No, mind you, I have a roof over my head. I have walls. I have AC and heat, running water. I don't have to, I don't have to go out to a half-moon door outside. I don't have to get a, a pot, a basin. But if I covet my neighbor's house, am I not saying, God, you did not adequately supply shelter for me, right? When I covet my neighbor's wife, am I not expressing my discontentment in the spouse that God has given to me? Why can't she be like, be careful, by the way, <laughs> if you value your health, but don't ever say that out loud. <laughs> but, I, I mean, again, am I not saying, God, I'm discontent. Why, why can't she be like someone else? You know, one of the things I've always loved about being here at Bethel early on with Sheila. Now, Sheila, Sheila could sing. Uh, I, one of the many things I miss about her being well is the fact that my, Sheila could sing. Man, she had a voice like an angel. I love to hear her sing. Um, and, and, I mean, she could, there were certain songs that she'd just melt you. And, but here's the thing. When we came... There were no expectations. If many of you have not had the pleasure, didn't have the pleasure to know her well uh, when she was well, but she was never an out front, very shy, very introverted type person. No one here ever expected her to lead uh, ministries. They didn't expect her to play the piano. They didn't expect her to do this, do that. And I've always appreciated that. Uh, you know, so there would never be. Uh, man, why can't you be like brother so-and-so's wife? She plays the piano, and she leads women's ministry, and she, none of that. See, if, I, if we start coveting, again, it could be husband too. If I covet my neighbor's husband, am I not saying, God, I'm discontent in mine. Why did you give me him and not somebody else? When I covet my neighbor's good health, am I not accusing God of failing to take care of my physical needs? When I covet my neighbor's wealth, am I not saying, God, you failed in providing for me. You said you would take care of me. Why do they have it better than I have it? The covetous man doubts God's wisdom. He doubts his goodness, his justice, his timing, and ultimately a covetous man doubts God's love. That's why this commandment is so important because it really it grinds down to the depth of who we are and our relationship with the Lord. Coveting is a terrible sin because it's an affront against God. It's an attack on his character. Those who covet are simply saying, God, you haven't taken care of me. And they're blaming God for all that's wrong. The fifth thing is this. Coveting destroys life. 
It destroys life. You remember the story, uh, the parable that Jesus told um, in Luke chapter 12 of the rich fool? Remember the story? Jesus told this story about a farmer who made a bumper crop. I mean, they, he just had a harvest beyond any he had ever had before. In fact, the harvest was so, was so good, uh, he didn't know how to handle it. The Bible says it, it was running over. He had no idea how to handle this influx of, of harvest that he had. And so, he, so what did he decide to do? The Bible says he decided to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. And here's what the Scriptures say. Verse 19, here's what he says. He said, I will say to myself, self, <laughs> he didn't say that, but <laughs> that's what I picture, self. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. This is what he said to himself. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But then, but then God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. Then who will own the things you have prepared for yourself? You say, no, so what does that have to do? Well, the simple story, uh, you know, it, it's a good question, and it's a clear moral. Jesus told exactly what the story meant. Here's what he said. This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. In other words, anything, it, it, uh, that's why all through Scripture we're told, lay not up for yourselves treasures where? On earth. You know, our job is to, is to store treasures somewhere else. You know, and, and, and so it's easier to know what this, what this story is not teaching. First of all, Jesus is not condemning business success. I mean, he, he wasn't fussing at this guy for having a bumper crop. That's not the point of the, of the parable. And he's not condemning this businessman for p- planning for the future. In fact, there are other scriptures that say you're foolish if you don't plan for the future. You know, it's important. He's not condemning because this man expanded his property uh, he's, he's saying, uh, he's not saying that it's wrong for you to enjoy life. I mean, if you want to take a trip, take a trip. If you want to go fishing, go fishing. He's not saying it's not wrong to have fun and enjoy life. He's not suggesting that rich people shouldn't get richer. Listen, if you, if you can make in the, in the, in the market, if you can make money, if you could take $50 and turn it into $50,000, man, God bless you, do it. And to come talk to me and teach me how. <laughs> I mean, again, that's, he's not condemning that. He's not condemning prosperity. You say, well, then why did, Jesus, why did God call him a fool? Well, a couple things. Number one, he acted selfishly with no concern for anyone else. Not one time in there do you see that he ever had any concern about other people. And the gospel at its very core is give. For God so loved the world that he gave. The core of the gospel is give. And that's not always about resources. It's about our time, our energy, our resources, our talents. It's about giving. It's about serving. This man had no, he, he was totally selfish, self-absorbed. Second thing, he acted with no regard for his long-term future. He was, he was a rich fool. It, basically, this rich fool was a classic example of a covetous man. He wanted more barns to give him more space to hold his ever-increasing harvest. He truly felt like he was, you ever met somebody who said, I'm a self-made man? That was this guy. That was this guy. He, he prided himself on being a self-sufficient man. He didn't need anyone else. He did it on his own. He sang that song, I did it my way. That was his, <laughs> that was his mantra. Most importantly, that type of mindset says, I don't even need God. 
That's what got him in trouble. That's what got him in trouble. Have you ever met those people? I don't, I'm a self-made man. I don't need God to do anything for me. I've got it all under control. That's where God says, you fool. You have no idea. Coveting makes sense. I'm going to wrap this up. Coveting makes sense if you're going to live forever, right? <laughs> that's, only, that's the only way it makes sense. But if you plan to die someday, coveting is probably the most foolish thing that a person can do. Probably the most foolish thing. We, again, we live in the, in the most technologically advanced generation the world has ever known. I mean, you think about it. We, in my pocket, I have a phone that has more computing power than what put a man on the moon in the 60s. That's amazing to me. That's amazing. I, I joke because I, I mentioned this on Sunday, but I, I was in my office the other day, and I pulled out um, an old teaching series that I, that, uh, I think it was from uh, John Maxwell years and years ago. I mean, I've had it probably 15, 18 years. And, of course, most of you know we have that leadership track going on, and we use a lot of John Maxwell. He's a great Christian leader. And uh, so I told Devin, I said, hey, I've got the course that you're looking for, and he opened it up, and it was cassette tapes. <laughs> He's like, well, I, I can't really use that. I mean, who has a cassette tape player anymore? Uh, but, yeah, got a hand up there. Now that's all vintage, but... Uh, I mean, but think about it. We're the most techni- technologically advanced generation ever. We, we enjoy inventions that our grandparents couldn't even imagine. I mean, just think about walking into your house. Alexa, turn the lights on. Alexa, turn the coffee pot on. Alexa, bring me my sandwich. <laughs> Hadn't got there yet. <laughs> when it does, I'm getting one. You'll be the one that calling me in the middle of the night. Pastor, I'm laying here, and Alexa called out to me. <laughs> I think it's possessed. <laughs> we, have, we have tools at our fingertips that enable us to pick up the phone. Listen, I can, I can text right now. I've got buddies all over the world. I could, call, uh, I, I could call Amy Farley in Vietnam right now. She's in Vietnam. I could, pick, I could take this phone. I could call her, and within just a matter of moments, I could have her on the phone. One of my new missionary friends in Managua, Nicaragua, I could call Bob and say, Bob, hey, man, what's going on? And he and I can have a conversation right now, just like that. It's amazing. No generation has ever had what we have. No generation has ever been so advanced. No generation has enjoyed uh, our privileges. Listen, if, if having more could make us happy, we ought to be the happiest people ever because we, we've got it all. I mean, I've got... You know, if I grill, I've got thermometers I can put in the meat, and it'll beep when it's done. Man, I mean, wow, we're, that's incredible. I can go watch my Alabama football and let the meat cook itself, and then beep, I'm done. You know, I mean, our, and, and yet think about where we are. We have more stuff, and yet our marriages fail at a greater rate. Families break up at a greater rate. Children are struggling at a greater rate today. If things made us happy we would be happy. So as I close tonight, let me give you a couple things. How do we, so how do we live content? See, I told you the answer is contentment. Paul said, in whatever situation and circumstance I, I'm in, there I have learned to be content. I know what it is to have a lot, and I know what it is to not have two nickels to rub together. So how do I, how do I live content? Well, number one, the first thing is guard your heart. Guard your heart. What does that mean? It means pay attention to your desires. 
Pay attention to your desires. Be careful about getting sucked in. Every commercial that you see is an attempt to bring coveting to life. That's it. Every advertisement that you see is a ploy to get money out of your pocket and put into theirs. Every bit of it. Guard your heart. Learn how to say no. You know, every act, I mean, think about it. Every act was once a thought. Every purchase was once a desire. Every foolish word was once an idea. Learn how to guard your heart. In this economy, we, you know, we should be saving money. We need to be saving money. No one can afford to throw it away foolishly. You know, people say, well, live within your means. But how many people really do today? I mean, if you go, I'm not going there. It's kind of like the man that says, I'm going to live within my means if I have to borrow money to do it. <laughs> Guard your heart. Don't allow yourself to be swept up into foolish desire. And the last thing is this. Again, become a great giver. When you say something like that, automatically you think about finances. Finances is so much more than that. You know, isn't it amazing how we always gravitate to that one little thing that we don't like to talk about? Giving is so much more than that. If your idea of being a generous giver or a godly giver is just about tithes and offerings and missions and things like that, you're missing the whole, the whole thing. Again, don't, how, how do you overcome a covetous spirit? You give your way out of it. You hold loosely to the things of this world. You start giving things away. Why? Because you, here's the thing, you cannot be a giver and a taker at the same time. There's nothing that will cure uh, greed like a generous heart. When you give it away, there's just something liberating about it. It sets people free. Listen, nothing breaks that stranglehold of uncontrolled desire like giving it away. Just, just giving it away. Hey, come, take it, whatever. So uh, let me just close with this. At the last thing, and I promise this is the last one. I ask God to give you a grateful heart. That's it. Ask God to give you a grateful heart. Why aren't we more grateful? I don't know. We aren't grateful because we've never asked God maybe to give us a grateful heart. See, by nature, again, our nature, by nature, we're covetous. We're full of covetousness. By nature, we're greedy people, grasping and unhappy, always looking for the next fix, always looking for the next toy, always looking for the next step up. Left to ourselves, we'd be just like the rich old fool. We would have built bigger barns and accumulate more stuff, and we would have all of that stuff. Generosity is not our nature. So how do I combat that? Then I learn to be generous. And when I start giving it away, I start finding it. Epicurus said it like this. He said, if you want to make a man happy, add not to his possessions, but take away from his desires. That's pretty good. If you want to make a man happy, add not to his possessions, but take away from his desires. I want you to stand with me as we close. There's a song. If I could sing, I'd sing it to you. There's a song that we used to sing, a little chorus. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, sometimes in a world that is eat up with materialism, greed, coveting, we just need a new glimpse of Jesus. He's the epitome of all of our desires. And he satisfies the deepest longing of our heart. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer? And if you're online tonight, if you'll 
just take a moment, and I'm just going to ask this. If you're here tonight, say, you know what, Pastor, I, I want to find contentment. I, that, that's really all I'm going to ask tonight. If you're online, if you'll comment, say, pray, pray for me. I want to pray for you. If you're here tonight, say, you know what, Pastor, I want to find that, com- that contentment. You know, I, I don't consider myself really to be a covetous person, but I do see things, and it raises that desire inside of me, and I, I want to learn to be content. Whether I get the stuff or not, I just want to learn how to be content. I want to be that happy person. I want to be like that king who searched far and wide for a happy man to get his shirt, only to find out that the happy man didn't really have a shirt. If that's you, just slip in right right back down. I'm going to pray. Amen. Thank you. How about online? If you'll just comment, I'll pray for you. Father, tonight I love you so much, and thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for these Ten Commandments. I thank you that they are the building blocks upon which we can build a strong a strong life, faithful life. Lord, tonight as we end with this 10th commandment on coveting, Lord, it is an, it, it is an inward sin. It is a sin of the heart or it is a sin at its, at, at its core that, that calls into question your, your benevolent care for us. Father, tonight help us. Help each of us to guard our heart. Help us. We're asking you to, to help us to cultivate a grateful heart. Lord, if we stop and add it all up, we are a wonderfully blessed people. And so, Father, I pray that we would anchor in that fact alone, that we are truly, truly blessed of you. And, Father, I pray that you will give us a, a restful night as we go our way, and may we sleep well. And I pray for the team that will be leaving tomorrow to go to Jacksboro for the recovery work. Lord, I pray, God, that your hand of protection would be upon each one of the team members. Lord, that uh, again, that we shine, be Jesus with skin on and all that we do. Lord, and on Sunday, bring us ready to receive from you. I ask blessings upon each person now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.